1: Chris Franken has a bachelor's degree in psychology and sociology, and over 15 years' experience as a professional writer of print and online magazines. She is the author of two books, The Call of Intuition, and her newest book, Wildhearted Purpose. She is a mystic mentor, teacher, and retreat facilitator. Chris was born in Toronto, Canada, and now lives in Byron Bay, Australia, by way of Sydney. And my first question is, how did that happen? (laughs) Welcome to the show, Chris. I'm so glad to have you. It's um, great for us because uh, so many people are feeling lost now and and don't know how to find a purpose or a meaning or, you know, something kind of to guide the way. And you call yourself, by the way, I didn't put it in here because I wasn't sure, a way shower, a way shower, which is nice. Um, but thanks for being on the show, and welcome to the show.
2: Ah, thank you so much, Bob. It's beautiful to be here and connect with you.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to have you. You traveled quite a long way from uh, Toronto, Canada, to uh, Byron Bay, Australia. How did that happen? <laughs>
2: <laughs> My parents are both Canadian and they loved to travel, so, Um, They lived in Toronto and they grew up in Winnipeg and they lived in Vancouver. My dad had a business opportunity to move to Sydney when I was about two years old. So we moved there for a couple of years and then down south to Melbourne, Australia. Then we moved to Detroit, Michigan when I was about seven for a good two or three years. And then we came back to Sydney. Now, this is all on my dad's business and the different opportunities that he would get working in technology at the time. And so mm-hmm. on one hand, as a kid, I really loved it. I loved the planes. I love travel. I love new things. I'm a Gemini. I love things really fresh. And on the other hand, though, I make really good friends and I'm really sad to let them go every time we move. Oh, that's right. um, but I had a real anchor in my mom and my mom and I have always been really close. So now I'm yeah, now like moving up to Byron Bay with my two kids, I mean, that felt like a really big stretch for us, even though it's in the same state in Australia. The states here are pretty big.
1: <laughs> so we Australia's moved. From- Australia's <laughs> huge.
2: <laughs> yeah. We moved from Sydney up to Byron Bay because both my husband and I work from home. And uh, we just wanted to change our lifestyle and see if Byron Bay, it has such a, an amazing, accepting, uh, culture here, whether you are spiritual or not, but if you are spiritual and you really want to go down that that path, there's so many different avenues and people and um, ways to support you in doing that. So, we really felt like home as soon as we landed. We lived by the beach for a few years and then we felt the call to move out into the mountains. And now we live in the rainforest in a beautiful valley on 40 acres. And it feels like a long wow. way from home, but I don't know where home is. I just feel so grateful to be here now.
1: <laughs> but you, in in many ways, you were a city kid. I mean, most yeah. of where you lived were cities, and you made it to the country. Not only did you make it to the country, it felt like home. So that yeah, is absolutely. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I love cities. Yeah. I still love cities, but I no longer feel like I can be authentic me in a city. I feel like now that I've found some space, I'm feeling like me in a way that I've never felt like me.
1: Mm-hmm. And and that energy of a city, is that now suffocating? Or is it, it um, it's okay, but you'd rather be home in the country?
2: It's, um, well, a little bit of both. The city is too busy for me. I've always been really sensitive. And I think that when you when you are a sensitive empath and you go and live in the country for a bit, you feel more comfortable and you feel more like I feel in a way I feel less sensitive, but I know that I'm not any less sensitive, but I'm able to use my sensitivities, I guess, more as an empath and a psychic, but nature Mm -hmm. really supports me and really grounds those sensitivities. But when I go to the city, the cities are so busy and buzzing and, there's, it's not only the Wi-Fi, but it's the traffic and it's the pollution and it's the, it, the people. It's, it's, it's layer <laughs> upon layer of, yeah. yeah, of really intense energy that um, I, I can enjoy if I have the right kind mm-hmm. of energy myself, but it also does wear me up.
1: Yeah. And you see, I'm reverse. If I'm in the country for a bit, it unnerves me. I have to go back to the city. <laughs> I feel I feel unnerved, and I think it's loud. <laughs> you know, people say, "Oh, that's weird." No, but it is. It's very loud in the country, and mm. in the city. I guess I can tune that out. It's white noise. Mm. But I, yeah, I'm more comfortable in the city. In the wow. country, I'm I'm more unnerved by uh, too much open space. Um, it's foreign to me, frankly. <laughs> mm. I know. I know. So many, your book now is about finding your purpose. And so um, how did you go about doing it? I mean, you've got great, great exercises and examples in the book, but it almost sounds like it took you to go to Byron Bay to really find it. So how did that work for you?
2: Yeah, Byron really opened me up to a whole new level of my purpose. I was already a writer in Sydney for many years. I worked right in the middle of that beautiful big city, uh, working on magazines for quite a few years. So then when we decided to move to Byron, I'd already written my first book, but I got to spend some time up here editing it and then finding a publisher and going through that process. So even though my purpose, I've always known, I've always been really Driven to find meaning in life and fulfillment that's always been a part of who I am. <clears throat> when I was in byron, i I met a friend who gave me a, I guess a psychic session, you'd call it, and she really could see that, which no one else has ever mentioned to me before. She said, "You know what? You can see people. And you can see their purpose. You can actually see what their sole purpose is and you help people. You do that with friends already, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, I, do, I don't know. I love having conversations with people about their purpose and about their careers because I really want people to have the same amount of fulfillment that I do. I don't want to tell people where to go or what to do, but I kind of want to give them permission to really follow their dreams and to really not, I guess, play small and stay in the job that they are resenting Monday to Friday and then only finding freedom and joy on the weekends but even that can be fleeting so i wanted to touch in and and help people that way as a mentor that was a really unexpected i guess twist to my purpose is to be able to talk about purpose and help other people find theirs and then when the idea for the book came along it felt so natural and it was when I got to edit it that I realized I'm living on 40 acres in the rainforest and I'm writing about living wild and I'm writing about being expansive and fulfilled and all these things that are starting to kind of fall in my lap for the first time this real sense of expansion and um, so given how at at peace I felt here, but also how deeply challenged the first year that we lived here was real initiation. I mean, there's some really, you know, big snakes around here. And we had a really big flood um, a month after we moved in. And so there was a lot going on for me. And all of that energy got to be infused into the book, Wildhearted Purpose, which felt so utterly perfect, something I couldn't have planned if I tried. But I really appreciated how those two or the many uh, sort of weavings came together as a tapestry in that book.
1: One of the things was getting used to having a big snake on your roof. (laughs) I can't can't imagine. (laughs) Tell me about that. (laughs) Yeah, we
2: have, we were, it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes when you buy a new house, the previous owners leave you notes, right? And I think it's a really kind thing to do. And the previous owner was leaving us a lot of notes because there's a lot of fruit trees here. There's a big veggie garden. There's a big pool to look after. 40
1: acres is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So
2: we were really grateful to have these notes. And what I loved about the notes is that he introduced the python to us as Bessie. So she's had a name, she's been here for a long time. She's very much at home in our, I guess, in it's her attic, right? That's her space. I in was there. gonna
1: say, it's got to be the attic, not on yeah. the roof.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, she, she'll go wherever she wants to go if the sun's up for a while. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if the sun's up for a while, we might see her trying to sneak over to the chicken run or. We might see her like just getting into the bush, but she knows when the rain is coming. This is the beautiful thing about living in the wild is you get to, you get to feel more in touch with the seasons and with the rain and the wind and the sun. So I can tell, like if, if I see a snake skin out the back of our house, I know that Bessie's come back. It's probably, there's probably some really good rain coming and she's, she's made her way back into the, into the attic again. So I, pythons are really, gentle and shy. Um, I was told that, you know, you don't want to, uh, yeah, they, I don't know if if I had a baby, I would feel a lot more vulnerable, but my little one is seven years old. So I know that the, that there's no snake that's going to try and take her. So at the same time you feel on edge about a lot of things here, but at other times you think, well, you know, the snake is going to eat the rats, and I just have to go with this or I'm going to go mad.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that – so a python is not dangerous once you're big enough? That's I, right. Again, city kid here. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, around here, around Byron Bay and a lot of Australia, there's um, brown snakes. Brown snakes are really fast. They're really venomous and Even when my daughter went to school in kindergarten when she was five, she came home one day and she said, oh, mum, there's a brown snake in in our little garden. And I went, what, how, did did no one take it out? And she says, no, they say that it's fine. And then they taught us a song about snakes, should I tell you? (laughs) And it's all about (laughs) teaching the kids in a really gentle way that if you see a brown snake, you just stand still and you'll be fine. they'll just go past so brown snakes are really aggressive and um I don't we don't see them very often. I know they're here, but it's the pythons that are actually this kind of sounds strange. I'm a reformed city girl, but they're quite comforting to have around they're so beautiful
1: really <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> <laughs> I know any snake actually you know other than here black snakes but You know, black snakes are garden snakes, basically, and they're Mm. you know. We really in the United States, um, we don't have that uh, venomous snakes. We have copperheads Mm. down south, and you know, when you go south, they're they're more dangerous. But uh, I'm north. (laughs) You've got copperheads and all that, but they won't usually. They won't kill you. Mm. You know, they they're. and it might be because I'm an adult, but, you know. Anyway, so, you know, we we aren't that aware of snakes here, mm-hmm. you know, um, thank God. And when I hear you talking about pythons and all, I'm thinking, are you crazy? <laughs> I actually had friends that uh, camped around <clears throat> Australia, and they got the tent that you put up on top of the car to go camping. Yeah, because of uh, the ruggedness down there. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but back to your book. <laughs> I know, back to your book. So um, it, in your book, you talk a lot about nature and how nature can bring you to your purpose. And and a lot of your exercises are about nature. But if if you're in a city and you're not tuned into nature, really, I mean, it's mostly cement around you, um what do you do how do you do that or do you want to talk about your book first and then talk about how do you do it in the city your call well
2: i can <laughs> i can talk about both and i think that's a really important question so i'm really glad you asked it so the book is a real call to the wild nature within ourselves and living wild uh, it's almost like the, the rebellious heart within us that wants to rebel against all the conditioning around us and to really make our own mark in our own way, use our voice, express our voice, really discover our gifts and our talents and let them shine. You can do that anywhere on the planet. You don't need to be living in the rainforest, that's for sure. Uh But I really, what I find is the more time I spend in nature, the more it reflects to me the wild nature within myself. And then I get to unravel all the layers that I have been sort of padding myself with, um, and that have stopped me from finding my authentic self and my voice and my truth and all of that. So you don't necessarily need to live in nature to, to discover your own wild nature. You can listen to um, beautiful music and often that can un- it can really open up your heart and, and you find something within yourself. You can have some beautiful indoor plants that really make you feel like you have like the indoor plants are such a beautiful way of just having nature at your fingertips. I, I have them all over my house. I love them. Um, There's also different ways like watching a nature documentary on TV of having a, I mean, Depending on snow and frost and heat and wherever you live in the city, you can have a, a really simple herb garden um, in your kitchen or on your balcony or on your little deck or veranda and, you know, you can grow your own herbs, maybe even grow a little bit of lettuce or spinach. And I know this is all weather dependent, but ha- growing something for yourself is even the tiniest thing really changes the game because you don't have to go and buy herbs in in plastic with a with an elastic band around them and and rely on that source it's like well i've got my own you know like rosemary and thyme and they're very hardy and you can grow them almost anywhere and just to have that is a real it's it's self-sufficiency, it's self-empowerment, it's it's nutritious, it's healthy, it's so delicious. You can use it in so many different ways. Uh, and then, of course, just getting out into nature whenever you can and going for a walk or just sitting on a rock or welcoming the sunrise or the sunset somewhere really special, even if you can't do that every day or every week, just getting to that when you can. Um, having a, a beautiful bath with some salts or Epsom salts and some essential oils that feel flowery or earthy. There's really a hundred or a thousand different ways that you can actually get in touch with nature and especially growing your own flowers if you can, just to really see the cycle of the flowers. There's so many flowers that just disappear completely, but they leave their bulb in the earth and then when spring comes up comes the most magnificent little plant and it blooms slowly and that whole magnificent cycle is what i based my book on is that you know sometimes we're in our own personal winter and we have a little bud within us a little seed i mean and that little seed we plant it seeds are planted in the dark there's nothing to show for what's going on and then slowly the seed grows into something and if we if we have enough faith in the process of life and in ourselves that bud can turn into the most magnificent flower. And that's our purpose. It's a cycle. And it's a beautiful cycle. There's birth, there's death, there's rebirth, there's transcendence, there's, there's failure, there's success and whatever you want to define success to be. So I feel like, like, however you can get in touch with nature is really valuable. But I also feel like there are a lot of people in the city who are being called to leave and to live in the country or to live just in, in a in a different space where they're not so cluttered with other people's energy. So I know that there are a lot of city people who just absolutely love the city. And the book isn't a call away from the city, but it is to honour you wherever you're at, and however you can connect with nature, and definitely how you can bring out your the the wild nature within you that just really wants to be expressed
1: and, and since we are of nature, just nature activates that within us, yeah, um kind of reminds us that we are part of nature that um that we do have that um the beginnings and the endings and the and the flowering times and all of that, that we are part of nature. So that does bring us bring it out. But um how does that bring us to finding our purpose? When
2: we start to (laughs) Yeah, perfect question. When we start to really tap into what our truth is, we start to see our gifts and our talents unfold. We get to see, oh we create space in our lives really if you go for a walk in nature you're creating space just half an hour create space you know you can listen to a podcast that you can listen to music you can take your kids you can you know so there might be distractions but if you go by yourself and you don't have any distractions and you just listen then you're creating space and your heart will naturally open and then you just have greater access to who you are and why you're here What gifts and talents you have? I mean, there are so many processes in the book that get really specific with it. But at the end of the day, it's giving yourself that space to listen within and say, what is it that I really want to do? How do I want to serve? Is there a way that I want to give back to my community? How do I love connecting with my community? How do I love sharing who I am with my family, with my friends and with the people who live around me? And so we get to... Uh, nature and space and even a long bath with some lavender oil can really, you know, the water has a way of soothing the conscious mind and 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 bringing out the heart, which is the subconscious mind, which is, it's almost like there's a key in there that unlocks something within us that we go, oh, I've been daydreaming about that thing for years and you know what, I'm just going to start it. I mean, there are a lot of people who have mortgages and they pay a lot of rent and they have one or two jobs and they've got kids and it's a really tight ship that they're running but they um there is there is always a way just to take one step it's not about giving it all up it's not about running away it's not about saying okay fine i'm just gonna live out my daydream starting now it's about taking that one step it's about honoring what you know to be true about your purpose your purpose, whether you think you really want to be a writer or a speaker, whether you want to be um, a gardener or a cook, it, do- it really doesn't matter what you're called towards. What really matters is that you're taking consistent steps towards that dream and feeling it unfold every day.
1: Hey, um, is the purpose inside of you at birth? Is it always inside of you? Your purpose does it change?
2: I feel like all of that is true. I feel like we're born with a soul purpose like um, it's like we have a blueprint in our soul like our souls are you know the same spark of source energy but at the same time our spark is unique. It's a unique spark that carries us through each incarnation and before we incarnate, I really believe, that we get together with our guides and maybe particular future family members and we and we kind of make a plan, okay, how is this, how can I as a soul really develop more? And which, you know, is this the human I want to be? Okay, so why do I want to be this human? And how am I, how is my family important? And then what is my purpose? It's almost like an unwritten blueprint within us that we we know when we're living on purpose because we feel that inner sense of success and fulfillment and joy from everything not necessarily everything that we do because we all have to do accounts and we all have to do you know mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other stuff that go with it but living on purpose is that real day-to-day feeling of the connection with the soul and i do believe it changes we have free will every minute of the day we can go and any any one of us can just go and live in Bali if that's what we want to do or or Germany or Florida or Byron Bay or wherever we want to go. We can just up and go. And so our purpose will will adjust with us. Uh it won't ever leave us that deeper sense of of who we are. And when would we, we all break there, it,
1: though? would we go like would we go to Germany or Florida or whatever if if it's not our purpose? Uh, Well, that's
2: right. I don't. I don't think so. I think it's all. I think everything can be purpose because, really, at the end of the day, and this is what I touch on in the book, our purpose is love. So you you don't want to get caught up in the egos battle the voices in your head saying, "Uh, uh-uh, this job isn't my purpose, or that's not meant to be a part of my, you know, career, or that's not right, or that's inauthentic. I mean, it's great to really unpack it. It's great to get really honest, but at the end of the day, we're here to love, we're here to serve, we're here to receive, we're here to grow and heal. And so I feel, no, you're right. Moving to a different country will, it might feel spontaneous, like moving to Byron Bay felt so spontaneous for us. But the way I see it enriching our purpose is, is beyond anything I could have predicted or imagined. So yeah, everything is purpose and the purpose is love, but at the same time, yes. So it's kind of like, um, we can strive towards a certain purpose, but every day in each moment, just opening up to what would love have me do right now, that's that's purpose.
1: Um, okay, I want to take a break now and then we're going to come right back and then I'm going to ask you more about how to find our purpose and is our purpose our career or is it something else? But we'll be right back.
0: visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call into 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to A View Through the Veil at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Hi, this is Barb Crowley, and we're back with Chris Franken, and we're talking about her newest book, Wild Hearted Purpose. And we have talked about the importance of bringing nature in as a first step, but what, hap- what do you do after you bring nature in to find your purpose? What's the next step?
2: I think what nature does is it works with us on so many levels, and it opens us up to what are we doing in our life that is out of alignment, and what are we doing in our life that is... feeling really good and feeling really in tune with our hearts. I think nature has a way of just showing us that, which doesn't really make sense to the logical linear brain. And the logical linear brain has a whole, career outline for our lives and you just follow this and take these steps and then you get the next car and the next promotion and the next whatever it is and that's fine there's really nothing wrong with that having that kind of career trajectory for some people that's absolutely perfect but for other people they're following a path that is not meant for them and nature just teaches us to be wild that it's okay to you know, metaphorically just take our shoes off and run around in the long grass with bare feet, that we're safe, that we're safe to tune into this body and find out what this body and what this soul and this mind and this incredible um, holistic being really wants to do with our day-to-day. So I think it gets a little bit practical after that. Once you invite nature in and you start to unpack what's going on in your life that really is working according to your heart and really maybe isn't so much. I think it gets practical like, okay, what's one thing that I can do this week that feels completely on purpose? Maybe maybe I just love cooking. Maybe I'm going to make a meal for a new mom down the road or maybe I'm just going to, you know, um, start experimenting with some new recipes and sharing that on a blog or, you know, it's just something that's little that I can do this week. Or maybe um, for some people it might be, okay, I'm going to take a little course that, you know, doesn't stretch me too much in terms of time and expense, but it actually gives me access to something that I know I'm really curious about. And maybe I don't know why. Maybe I'm curious about sound healing or Reiki. Maybe I'm curious about um, growing a a mini food forest or a community vegetable garden. Maybe I'm really curious about natural hair care (laughs) or whatever it is. It can be anything. And don't let your Your mind limit you because what you're curious about is your heart saying, hey, hey, a little bit more of that. Can you go there? Can can you go and look into that a little bit more? And so we go and we explore and we trust that there's a reason for it. And it might not turn into a, a job. It might not turn into a career. It might actually always be a hobby. But that might be the thing that keeps us really in tune with our heart, in tune with our community, really feeling fulfilled. And we can do a regular job. Um, that takes up most of our week. And it actually, what I find, and I found with a lot of my friends and clients is that when you actually take up that hobby <clears throat> or you'd start on that course, the job doesn't feel so bad. Actually, you feel a lot lighter in the job because you're not expecting this job. To be fulfilling and successful, but the job is providing you with some money. The job is providing you with a with a whole different community. And maybe the job is even providing you with some really challenging people to work with. And that's a sole contract as well. It's nothing as an accident. So if you're at a job that you're not enjoying, hey, maybe, maybe it's just helping to clear a little karma. Maybe there's some relationship stuff that you're learning there. And maybe it feels like you're doing it the hard way, but that's what jobs are really great for. Is is teaching us more about who we are and opening us up in our relationships helping us to clear karma and karmic bonds and 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 showing up for soul contracts so it's not
1: always comfortable um yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um it, it you can actually get something outside of the job or the career that um will take your attention off the career we'll light which kind of lightens it up. You don't care as much anymore. And and you can do that, but your attention really is on this other thing. How much is creativity? How important is creativity in this process?
2: I think creativity is so hugely important. And I think like for the longest time I thought creativity meant being artistic and i'm not i'm not hugely artistic i'm not one to just pull out the paints and and go with that or i do like creating collages online on canva and i find that that's my little artistic streak but i'm a really creative being and i think creativity is so important because at this age like we we're, we're, we're at the beginning of a new age and we all need to creatively step into this with the kind of um, new way of thinking that this world needs. We can't solve what's going on right now by tapping into the old ways. They, They obviously don't work. So the more creative we can be in whatever it is that we're working on, whether we're working on technology and computers, whether we're working on social media or all the other things that I mentioned before, if you want to go ahead and work in the garden, there's a new way of doing that. And we can do it without the use of any chemical sprays. We can create really beautiful food forests without the use of any sprays. Now, that's getting really creative. Okay, so how do I keep my my garden thriving? And I'm speaking now from personal experience. How do I keep my garden thriving <laughs> without a single chemical, without anything harmful to any of the birds, any of the – even I don't love the rats, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to kill them by, through poison. Except
1: for that python.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Because and if I yeah. if I do put some poison out there, and I think it's just for the cockroaches or the rats, that's going to affect the snakes. Of course, it is. It's going to affect the waterways. It's going to affect the food we eat. There is no isolated part of the whole. It all works together. And we learn that within our body, and we learn that within nature. And so, I find creativity to be absolutely important. It's so much more important than. We give it credit for. And, you know, I think a lot of people have looked to a permanent job as being their anchor into safety and security, and this is what's going to see me through until I'm old. And I just have to play this game, and I might not like it, but this is my safety and security. Actually, your safety and security is within you. And so if you rely on a job and then you lose that job, where is your anchor? Like where is your your point of reference when it comes to I am safe. I am taken care of. You need to carry A that around.
1: Too. It's identity. So who yes. am I? You know, if I've yes. lost that job, who am I? They've lost that, that identity really, you know, they've hooked it to the job. And when that job is gone, they, they're empty. They no longer know. And because they haven't, I guess, gone in they haven't gotten to know each other, each other or themselves in, a way that's not that job. So it's unnerving. Yeah, it's unnerving. Um one really? thing I noticed with creativity too that and this is what you might be talking about with nature is creativity makes you present in yeah. in the moment. You're you're totally like paused in the moment and on that. And it's almost like the way you talk about nature it's almost the same way. It's it's so present, so grounding, so in the moment, and there is nothing else. And that might be the help that opens you to who am I? Who, what is my purpose? What do I want? What do I enjoy? Mm. What do I enjoy? So um, now, back yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I mean, yeah. I love that. I love how you brought that. Together, because it is so, so, so true. When you, when you connect to the present moment, in however you want to do that—in the bath, in nature, in in a deep breath, on a on a on a long walk, or just by being creative—I mean, if you're being creative on a piece of paper, you can't help but just fall into that present, sweet moment Mm -hmm. of just infinity, and that's where anything is possible, and that's where you open up to. Oh, hey, what if I tried this, or what if I tried this in a different way or so the present moment is just everything it really is everything you get access to your full and complete self you get access to your soul's blueprint and your purpose and you might not be able to read it you know like a psychic can read it or a mentor can read it but you know yourself And when the more you get present if you love meditation or you would prefer to go for a walk get present in that moment and really tune into yourself and say well Who am I? Like without words, without identity, without the ego, without attachments, who really am I? And just see what comes up for you. And it might not make sense Um, and or it might be really clear and direct. It's so different for everyone. But just getting to know yourself on the inside can only really happen in the present moment.
1: And is it more of a feeling or a thinking thing or is it both?
2: I think it's both, but the, the subconscious doesn't speak in words. So when you want to... When you want to dive deep, you really get into the realms of dreams and images and symbols and sensations in the body. You know, your body knows when something is off and when some person is not right for you, when a job just really isn't going to make you happy, your body tells you. And the more you listen to that and trust that and go, okay, I'm getting really on edge thinking about that option, whatever that option is, I'm just going to let it go. I don't need that. And then I'm just going to wait until my body shows up with a really expansive yes, and then that's how I'm going to know that something is really good for me, really aligned with my spirit. And so I think there is definitely thought that comes with it because we're human and because that's all a part of who we are. But also there is a lot to be said for sinking beneath thought at times and really trust what comes through in those symbols and dreams and images, and then just writing them down and saying, okay, I just saw a hibiscus flower. I have no idea what that means right now, but I'm just going to write it down and know that it'll unfold and I'll be shown more and spirit will always, you know, back me up and help me out whenever I need more. Or maybe you've got an animal that you just keep seeing in real life or on a screen. So you're being shown all the time symbols and animals and visuals, and we have recurrent dreams during the day and during the night, and they're really speaking to us as well. So it's definitely both.
1: So it's follow the breadcrumbs kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Follow the the synchronicity crumbs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, you talk about journal, how important it is to have a journal, to keep a journal, to write these things down, because you may not know what they mean until later, until later, until you look back. One thing I have to say about life is... um, you really don't know anything about it until you look backwards. People try and look forward, and there's no way you can figure that out. Like you go into Byron Bay, you know, you never, when sitting in the middle of Sydney, you never would have thought you're going there. But looking backwards, it was the most normal, natural, almost predetermined step you could have made, but until you look backwards. So I always say to people, don't try and figure it out, look back. (laughs) <laughs> that's where you'll see that's where you'll see but those those crumbs and to be quiet in the moment to receive the crumbs or, you know where you were talking about you know yourself but some people don't some people have been so far away from themselves that they'll go quiet and they actually have no idea they mm-hmm. have you know they're just oh my lord I have no idea yeah, you know, mm. and, and there, I guess, is when the breadcrumbs are most important, just to notice, oh, that caught my attention. Oh, I like yeah. that. You know, oh, um, I wanted to do that twice, e- twice because I failed the first time and I'll go back again. <laughs> you know, things like that. I guess you just follow those things, yeah. especially if you don't know yourself. I think if so many don't... people don't know.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And if you, do, if you do go within and you feel like I don't know who I am, you can always go back to who you were as a child because as a child there was a sense of knowing exactly who you were. I think as children we're born knowing but unable to express it a lot of the times. And when we do express it, it might not make sense to those around us and it might be repressed because it doesn't feel safe to be our authentic self. But I think as children there's a knowing And it might be hard to tap back into that. And if there's trauma as a child, it might be especially hard to tap back into who we were, that inner child in us who really has a lot of answers. And so there might be uh, a cycle of healing that is needed so that you can actually feel safe to sit down with your inner child and say, what do you want me to know? What is it that you love doing? What is it that you could never do that you really wanted to do as a kid? That doesn't seem to make sense to us as an adult. Like, why would I want to know about the games I played as a five-year-old when I'm actually searching for a different career path? But it actually, it, it gels together so beautifully when you get to talk to your inner child and your inner teenager and your inner young adult and say, hey, what is it that you love doing? What is it that you... what is it that you never got to do that you really wanted to do? Maybe they wanted to travel. Maybe they wanted to make ice cream. Who knows? But it's really fun and really insightful to sit with them. And if you have trouble even doing that, my suggestion is when you sit down and you get really present to the moment, just share a prayer. It could be a prayer with your ancestors. It could be a prayer with spirit or God or the angels. It could be a prayer with Mother Nature. Just share a little prayer and say, hey, I'm actually feeling a little lost. I really don't know who I am. Can you help me? Can you help me? Send people into my life who can help me. Send, send miracles into my life that can, that can show me more of who I am, that can reflect to me. Not tell me. We don't want to be told anymore. We don't need any more conditioning. Yeah. We don't need any more of that. Mm-hmm. We want to know the truth <laughs> of our authentic yeah. self.
1: And you use dreams, too. And, and one thing you said that, that caught my attention is dreams are not only at night, that you could be daydreaming during the day, and that's a dream, to pay attention to both. Mm-hmm. And again, journal, again, journal. Mm-hmm. That some yeah. of that information is coming through that way.
2: Daydreams are, are the dreams that we create. I mean, we create the dreams at night. Sometimes maybe we co-create them, but that's all from our soul. And then these dreams that we create during the day, these daydreams that we have recurrently, if you start writing them down, like, what am I daydreaming about? And it could be something so silly, but it also could be something that you really, really want and you're not going to give yourself permission to do it because it's just a daydream. And so often we think daydreams are silly or they're a waste of time. But tune into them. And I'm not saying that they're always nice. Sometimes we have daydreams that are quite fearful, like we're we're, we're thinking about something that might happen and we might be feeling anxious about something. and We're thinking, thinking about that. And that starts to create these daydreams that are like day nightmares. And that's a real key into what needs healing, into what needs letting go into a story that could be shifted and alchemized into a more positive outlook on the world. Maybe that's just showing us that we need to pay more attention to um, what's going on really in our lives and in our community rather than the news and social media that's that's not not so connected to our own personal reality.
1: How do you know when it's ego and <laughs> when it's, you know, you're really, purpose or your core how do you know the difference or I can think you?
2: Every, yeah I honestly I think I, I I like to see everything in the mind every voice in the mind as ego because I don't think ego was such a bad thing and if you think that, that that oh that's just my ego thinking I could be a public speaker and it's like well what's your ego trying to say is that something your heart wants or is that something your heart fears or is it like what is it what is like just just sitting with that without any judgment and saying, well, then why do I keep thinking about it? And so what is my ego trying to show me? Maybe my ego is trying to show me something magnificent, or maybe my ego is trying to show me something terrible because it wants to keep me small. And maybe if I really do want to be a public speaker and I start taking steps to do that, whether it's a course or whether it's a really small workshop or whether it's a podcast, maybe when I start taking steps, my ego is just going to completely freak out. But I want to know, why I keep thinking about that thing. So I mm-hmm. I try and put all thoughts in the realm of ego and not see ego as anything bad. And then underneath that, it's the feelings and sensations we have around those particular daydreams or thoughts or ideas that show us where the alignment is and or they show us what needs to be healed. So we need to listen into the body's wisdom that's underneath all of that as well, which sounds really complex, but actually when you break it down to one thing at a time, it's really simple. It's like how do I feel about that? and why and what else do I need to know? That's why the journal is just so such a good, um, um, a really good, it's a gift. You get to really unwrap so much more by putting pen to paper.
1: And and let's say, you know, it keeps coming up, you want to be a speaker. I would think there are other questions you want to ask, like why? Is there something in that, that you don't really want to be a speaker, but maybe you want to be able to tell your story. You know, or something that, you know what I mean, where it's not exactly that, but it's something about that, that you, mm. you're you looking for, that you want. Which reminds me, how did you get from sociology and psychology to writer? <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's kind well, of a it, leap. <laughs> it is. I've made some big leaps, Bob, to be
1: honest. I started off in... Byron in being Hustle. one, Byron Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: I In high school, I was obsessed with music. I always thought I was going to be a musician. I thought I was going to go to university, study music, learn to be a better singer. I was really great on the piano. I was okay. I was kind of average on the saxophone. And I just really wanted to play the piano and sing. That was how I saw my life. Then I started off at university wanting to study music and I fell in love with psychology and music was very, very dry. So I turned my attention to psychology and then I completed my degree with a double major. And I really love people. I love helping people. And I'm really curious about how people's minds work, how, why, how, and why their lives unfold the way that they do. So when I finished my degree, I didn't really feel like there was anything I could really um, follow that with. There was no, it just seemed to be like a dead end. And I thought, well, well, That'll come in handy later, I'm sure of it. And I went on working in hospitality. I managed really big restaurants. I did everything that I could in a a restaurant except for I never cooked, although I'm a great cook. I never wanted to be a chef. But I kept following the breadcrumbs and I ended up working at a beautiful food provider. And in that food provider, I kept meeting food writers. And that's when I would get really excited. And I would say to them, what is your job? What do you do? What do you do? in your job? And how did you get your job? And does every food writer on a magazine have to have a journalism degree? Or I could see myself and I could feel that curiosity was so (laughs) intense around magazines and around journalism. And I thought, I'm just going to go for it. And it's funny because I had some friends at the time saying to me, "Mm, you don't have the right degree. There's no, you're not going to get a job. It's not going to work out. I'm sorry, but You'll be better off working for your local paper. I wanted nothing to do with my local paper. I just, that (laughs) wasn't where my love was, where my joy was. So I kept following the breadcrumbs. I ended up a beauty and health editor on a national magazine. Had Mm -hmm. such a ball. It was also an, an awakening for me because when I got to see um, what the media was like from the inside. When I got to see what the beauty industry is like on the inside, then a whole lot of illusions fell away because I could see the reality of how certain things work. Uh, after that, I ended up working as a freelance writer and I just felt the pull to be an author. I didn't know when or how or why, uh, but the pull was, was really strong. And after my, daughter was born I started to write cards I was writing these she was born almost eight years ago so I started to I had the first idea actually eight years ago when I was heavily pregnant with her and I wanted to write conversation starter cards and then it was daily affirmation cards and then it was oracle cards so I wrote seven sets of cards over the years but somewhere in there the idea for a book landed because I really that breadcrumb the 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 desire to explain how tangible, our beautiful intuition is was so strong that I wrote 60-something thousand words on it because I just wanted to really guide people to to understand how that works so that they know how tangible their intuition is and how it's not some vague knowing like a lot of people think. But then, you know, I loved writing in magazines, but I knew how much I loved writing at university, I could write three, four, five thousand words, and that was a that was a psychology report, or that was a sociology essay, and that was where my joy was at. And I knew so many people around me were complaining that why do we have to write so many words? And I wanted more words, and I thought that was kind of strange. I'm the only kid that it was un- kind
1: of most yeah. most of us are like, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I understand your friends, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> that was my first clue that I liked long form writing and I'm really glad I kind of remembered that when it came to writing a book and I didn't feel in the in the least bit hesitant at writing a book and it felt so natural to me and I think that's what purpose is in a way is it feels so natural and yet it really stretches us. I mean writing a book you ask anyone who's written a whole book it really stretches you. It It, it brings out a whole new level of confidence but it also brings out a whole lot of Fears and anxiety first, you know. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I hear I hear a lot of authors talk about it. It's like a, a very specific kind of hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, but they love it. You know, they would yeah. not do it. But it's a very specific kind of hell. <laughs> yeah. I. Know. How did you know though? When you when you were talking to the food writers, how did you know that it was writing and not a food writer? And not food. You oh, know, okay, how so did you know which one?
2: I, so I, went, I went for food and I, I got a job as a personal assistant to an associate publisher at Australia's largest magazine publisher. And I was working for her and she had, she, she had a whole bunch of magazines that she was working with and one of them was Gourmet Traveller magazine and that is it, the best food magazine in Australia. It is, it is absolutely, it is so breathtakingly beautiful. The food is infinitely inspiring and I am such a foodie. And I was like, that's it. That's where I'm going. And what happened was I ended up getting a job on that magazine one day a week. And I got to, I got to chat with the editor and the sub-editors and the food editors and the stylists and everyone that worked for that magazine because I was there a whole day a week and I loved it. But at the same time, I realized I can't just write about one thing. Like I could see the devotion that these food editors had and have to their craft is beyond what I am capable of. <clears throat> they are constantly recipe testing. They are constantly learning. They are constant. And I thought, <clears throat> as much as I absolutely love writing about food, I could tell that that was not my future, and I could tell that I needed something that was more broad. And I was so lucky because it was only a few months later that the editor of an interiors magazine asked me if I wanted a full-time job in her magazine, and I thought, yeah, that's it. Somehow that's going to be it. And a year later after I landed that job, I ended up as beauty and health editor, but health, of course, is this huge array of wellness and spirituality and pop psychology and food. That's and-
1: a big subject, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, so I got to explore all of that. Big that was diverse
1: so subject, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so you knew you needed that diversity that some people are food all 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 the time, all food all the time <laughs> yeah that's right, and yeah. yeah, yeah, and you needed more than that, mm-hmm. yeah, so you knew that internally, mm. yeah so and then and then you ended up sitting down and writing a book and so <laughs> so you from from university, you had learned how to write, really, and then and then one step after another but it was guided it yeah. was internally and externally guided do you believe
2: yeah definitely i really believe that i remember starting when i lived in sydney and i wrote a blog and i had a job as a freelance writer and i wanted to create something on my blog that was um like a, a an ebook that i could give away and it's still actually on my blog i've updated it I don't so much write a blog anymore, but it is on my website. Anyway, I wanted to write a book, but I had such a diverse array of subjects on my blog that I had no idea what I was going to write a book about, what was going to be the most interesting. And a friend of mine said, and I believe this is how quite often we're guided by spirit, is through friends who really see us and really get us. And a really beautiful friend of mine said to me, what is the common thread through everything that you write about? And I went, "Oh." I don't know. (laughs) So I had to go and get into my (laughs) journal and find out. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote so much in my journal until the right about 10 o'clock that night, I had it all figured out. And that was that I empower other people to listen to their hearts. And that's what intuition is. And so when I When I tuned into that as the common thread, everything in my life just became so much more easier because I knew what my intention was, what my why was. I knew what the underlying current that was taking me onward in my career was going to be.
1: That's a great place for us to stop, and we have to stop. (laughs) We've actually come to the end. Thanks so much. But that was a perfect place. Thank (laughs) uh, you so much, Thanks so much. I want um I want you to be able to tell everybody where they can get hold of you and what you have coming up and your book is out there now where they can get it. So sure. if you want to share that. Thank you so
2: much. My website is chrisfranken.com. That's K R I S F R A N K E N and there you can find my book, my cards, um, you can find I've got some retreats coming up soon for anyone who's in Australia or who wants to come to Australia. They haven't been finalized, but they will be. Um, the book is available all through the US and Canada in bookshops and online. It's going to be available in the UK in March, but it won't be in Australia until May or June. Uh, if you order it online, though, you'll get it. If, if you live in parts of the world where it isn't available in the bookshops, you can just order it online or you can wait. Um, yeah, and I've got, I, I do, I create meditations for Insight Timer and that's all on my website as well. And I've got some more of those coming up this year and I'm really excited about it. it feels like a really creative year. So I'm excited. There's also a that's newsletter great. if you want to keep in touch with all of that. You can sign up to my newsletter on my website. That's
1: perfect. Well, thanks so much for being on. i really enjoyed it. It was very enlightening. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. That
2: was a really beautiful conversation. I appreciate it too. Thank you. It was great.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.